Welcome to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Digital Literacy, sponsored by EY. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Chris Giannusos, the Managing Director for Digital at EY. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Thanks for having me. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. Service in the private sector bottomed out in mid-2022. The American Customer Service Index found it was at the lowest level in 17 years. Now, the good news here is that by the fourth quarter of 2022, that downward trend started to bounce back. Now, at the same time, ACSI found satisfaction with federal agencies saw a four-point increase in 2022 over 2021. Agencies still, however, are well below the satisfaction rate of private sector by almost 10 points. So what can agencies learn from the private sector and how can they address some longstanding challenges around customer service and how can they improve customer experience? Well, that's where my guest comes in. Chris from EY, let's start with the basics. How are the private sector and public sectors kind of viewing customer experience differently? How are they viewing it very much the same? Give us a state of the customer experience in public and private sector. Yeah, thanks, Jason. And it's a great question. You know, I spent the early part of my career working with private sector organizations on their digital transformation and helping them think about the way they wanted to engage and interact with their customers and potential customers. And I think what we're seeing on the government side is a similar realization about the role that digital and technology and those customer experiences play in the relationship with the customers. They're just probably um, a few years behind where the private sector is. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that that are not dissimilar from other types of transformations that government agencies undergo. But the good news is, as a result of COVID and as a result of them having to rethink the models of engagement and the way that they serviced their customers that was not so uh, potentially people and one-to-one focused, they're really beginning to prioritize an enhanced customer experience in the way that the private sector has been. So I think they have some very common views and objectives in terms of what they want to accomplish and the types of experiences they want to provide. What they're really starting from is just, or where they really are, just two different starting points where the private sector um, started to make these investments years ago and government is just beginning to catch up now. You talk about the common views, common objectives. Maybe let's go down that path a little bit because a lot of people say, well, if you are a shoe company, well, everyone wears shoes. And if you're the IRS, everyone hopefully pays taxes. So the customer base, that's probably the starting point where I would say is, most companies have the same, you know, everyone's their customer. Well, yes and no. You know, private organizations have a little bit of the ability to choose the segments that they want to target. And while they want to have, most of them want to have a fairly broad set of individuals that they do business with, they do have a little bit of choice and some degree of self-selection. Government does not have that luxury. Fundamentally, they have to service every single one of their constituents, irrespective of their their income or their economic background or any of the other kind of demographic categories that a private sector organization might consider. And in addition, um, government is, you know, fundamentally a little bit of a monopoly. And what I mean that is, you know, you use the shoe analogy earlier. Well, you can choose, do I want Nike or Reebok? You have different choices of brands you might want to buy shoes from. Obviously, if you want a driver's license, you've only got one choice. And that that different competitive dynamic, I think, is what drove what I said earlier, the reason why the private sector got started on this a little bit earlier, because they had those competitive dynamics to deal with in a way that the public sector does not. Now, all of that being said, um, you know, because of some of the data that you provided earlier, 
um, there is a realization that the, the obligation that the government has in terms of the way they service their individuals has changed. They are also now dealing with two generations of taxpayers and voters who have grown up living every aspect of their lives online. And they have an obligation to meet those people where they are and to service them perhaps differently than they did their parents and their grandparents. And so that's, that is one of the factors that I think is behind this catch up. But some of those competitive dynamics are ultimately what, you know, what has driven a little bit of the differences in priorities over the past two decades. I always love that discussion around uh, the digital native. Uh, Chris, I'm not sure you're, you fit into Generation X. Maybe you do. I do. And I'm proud of that uh, idea. But I want to say I am the digital native. I I grew up with my Commodore 64 and my Atari 2600. And I was very proud to have those things in, in, in my digital native uh, toolbox. Uh, but I think you're right. I think that what's driving a lot of the agencies toward a better customer experience is the expectation of the people. And I think one, one of those things at the same time is the technology now is, is catching up. Is is that the other driving factor that technology is better than it ever was, whether again, it's your phone, your laptop, or however you choose that, that omni-channel experience? Yeah, I think that's certainly a big factor. And, and by the way, I am Gen X. Um, and I remember the first computer that my father brought home. It was in a set of boxes that took up the entire living room, which is quite different from uh, the box that the iPhone now arrives in. Um, but I do think that the ubiquity of technology, the cost basis, you know, everyone, almost everyone in the US has a smartphone, even if they lack perhaps uh, other forms of technology, a laptop or a, or a you know, desktop computer. And people have grown accustomed to doing things through those means um, and those expectations have now extended to the government. And one of the exacerbating factors is you've got your digital natives, people who grew up doing these things online and really know no other way of, of transacting their life. But even some of the older generations, you know, one of the things that they experienced during the pandemic was beginning to sample and try new experiences digitally that perhaps they never would have done previously, whether that was grocery shopping or, you know, meeting with their doctor or other things, it sort of opened everyone's eyes to what good looks like. And again, those expectations, you know, as they shift their seat and now, whether it's a driver's license or applying for benefits or starting a small business, they look at that experience and say, gosh, why is this um, so poor in comparison to what my bank provides or what my grocery store provides. And, and that pressure is, again, one of those things that is causing the, the, the public sector to begin to prioritize investments in customer experience. The other side of it is things like the cloud or things like the software as a service, kind of that side of the technology. The infrastructure is also caught up quite a bit. Is that the other piece that's maybe a little bit easier now for agencies and the public sector to take advantage of some of these tools and, and capabilities? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, no longer do you have to set all of this up in your own data center. And a lot of the new experiences we're seeing are being built on low code, no code platforms where it's really more of a configuration discussion rather than bringing in a team of developers to write code from scratch. And, and that transition um, is, is difficult. Um, but the new tooling has certainly made it easier for agencies to begin to experiment with more modern types of experiences that work on a variety of devices um, and that that lend themselves to conformance to those form factors without having to develop exclusively for each of those platforms. So if we look at cloud computing, we look at the way data um, can now be stored and manipulated and used to drive certain types of experiences. All of those factors are certainly making it easier for 
agencies and the private sector, quite frankly, to begin to do things in a way that they couldn't have even imagined, you know, a decade or two ago. The other side of the technology is that adoption. I think you mentioned it earlier that because the private sector can choose, for instance, uh, different segments they want to address, or they can choose how to how to, how to go after a segment of you know the twelve to twenty four year olds versus the the twenty four to forty five year olds. However, they they kind of break that down. Are you seeing differences in terms of how the private sector is using technology today, and has where the government maybe needs to play some more catch up, or are they both? generally speaking, on equal footing uh, uh, in terms of the access and the types of technologies they're using. We're, I guess I'm, I'm looking for that comparison again, public-private sector. I don't know that there is a big difference in the access or the availability of the technology. The same platforms that we've been using to deliver enhanced customer experiences in the private sector are all available to the public sector. And, you know, they have maybe specific versions of that that are compliant with some of the different, you know, federal and state level guidelines around things like data privacy and security um, and and where the data is housed, et cetera. Um, But I don't think there's a big difference in access. I think where there is a big difference is in the risk tolerance between the private and public sector. One of the most interesting differences is I think about the conversations that I had with my private sector clients versus public sector is private sector is always bring me a new idea. I want to do something innovative. I want to do something that no one else has done. I, I want to try something new. And, and yes, there's degrees of risk tolerance depending on sector and the individual you're talking to, but there is there is much more of this attitude of I want to do something new. Whereas in the public sector, there is still very much a I want to do something new, but I want to know that you've done this exact thing this way three other times. And so that risk tolerance is probably the biggest differentiating factor. And to a certain extent, I understand that, right? The the government is in the paper all the time. Again, they have an obligation um, and they have a responsibility in terms of the way they use taxpayer funds. So by definition, they have to be a little bit more risk averse. But at the same time, I think one of the things that they could learn from the private sector is um, just a, a willingness to do a little bit more experimentation, to try some things that honestly may not work and to learn from those, but to use those uh, very carefully measured um, experiments to to do some things differently in terms of the way that they engage and transact with their citizens. And I think they would start to see um, a lot of rapid investment or a lot of rapid improvement um, in the way that they're engaging those individuals as a result. Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and, and if nothing comes to mind right away, we totally understand. Any examples of where some of that smart risk was taking, some of that experimentation? Uh, again, it be as specific or unspecific as you'd like, but but is is that experimentation happening in the public sector? A, a little bit in small pockets. I would say, you know, one of the examples where you will see the private sector doing things like this is they will do, you know, maybe a targeted beta, or they will publicly acknowledge this is not exactly you know, fully baked and ready for prime time, but we're asking for your patience and your feedback and your, you know, your your active participation in making it better. And that that conversation, there's a little bit of an understanding in both directions that we're going to be, you know, working with something or maybe using something that's going to have some bugs, but um, but it's all being done in the service of ultimately providing a better experience. So I think you've got some of those models and patterns from um, some of the, you know, the technology companies that we know and love today, a lot of those consumer grade technology organizations. Um, I'm seeing the beginnings of some pockets of that within um, government agencies. I think they're still wrestling with 
how do we effectively communicate that in a way that we get the same um, the same understanding from our constituents that things may not be perfectly right out of the gate, but we're doing it in, you know, in an attempt to overall make things better for you and for people like you. I, I think we'll start to see more of that um, over the coming years. You know, one of the big barriers, perhaps for the public sector was honestly funding. And if you're in a world of limited funding choice, you're going to take more bets on sure things rather than experimentation. But I think we're seeing, you know, more investment, more availability of funds to improve customer experience that is sort of happening at the federal level and beginning to trickle down to all levels of government. And with those, you know, some of those pools of dollars, I think that will also unlock some of the same type of experimentation um, and willingness to, you know, maybe do some things that aren't going to be perfect, uh, but are going to be better and will generate data and learning and understanding that those agencies can use to continually enhance the products and their experiences that they're putting in front of their constituents. The funding is always a big deal. You don't want to fail because you do have limited funds. And we know that the Technology Modernization Fund is committed over $100 million to CX efforts across the federal government. So that's one way, I think, is you're absolutely right, to give some extra uh, boost to those uh, efforts. Uh, Chris, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Digital Literacy, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. Government agencies face pressure to modernize programs and optimize operations. With EY, you can unleash the power of progress and move from strategy to execution. We are at the forefront of shaping how the government responds to complex challenges, providing technology-enabled solutions to help you transform at the federal, state, and local levels. Together, we are building a stronger country for the people. Learn more at ey.com govmod. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Digital Literacy, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Chris Giannusos, the Managing Director for Digital at EY. Now, Chris, before break, we talked a lot about the private sector, public sector comparison, similarities, uh, the different challenges they both have, uh, and why maybe the, the private sector is maybe a little bit ahead of the, of the public sector around really addressing customer needs and ensuring the best customer experience. Let's start with, okay, you, you got to play some catch up. You got to do better. You got to continue to improve. Where should agencies start? What are some of those uh, areas that they should start to say, okay, how do we move from A to B to C? Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks, Jason. And one of the things that we're really passionate about is taking a human-centered design approach to these transformations. And by that, I mean, really starting with those end customers or those end constituents first be developing personas or profiles of what those individuals need, the emotional state that they're going through when they're, you know, whether they're applying for benefits or trying to get a license or start a business, you know, what's going through their head, what are their typical frustrations, um, and what things are really important for you as a government organization to get right in terms of the experience that you're providing them. And that outside in view, really starting with what is it we want to provide, I think is a little bit of a different methodology from the traditional modernization efforts, which typically start with process improvement or very inside out view of the world. And I think that's critically important, right? Looking for those efficiencies, looking for ways to take cost out or to make the processes work faster is really important. But oftentimes, if you start with that approach, you tend to make the work 
uh, more effective for internal for the internal organization. Perhaps how do you get the you know the paperwork from point A to point B to point C, or how do you improve the reporting requirements that might be obligations to the federal government? Um, and those things sometimes come they're 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 at odds with what a good customer experience looks like. So we're really passionate about starting with that target state experience. What would that look like if it was you? What would you want to experience? And then from there, breaking that down and thinking about, okay, so what process improvements might we have to make in order to deliver that experience? Where do things take too long? Where do we have, you know, maybe pieces of technology that don't talk to each other that need to, um, or maybe some agencies that don't work together today um, that need to in order to provide that experience, and then sort of decompose that into the requirements and capabilities. One of maybe the best um, examples or corollaries that I that I often give when I'm talking to my clients is to think about the financial services industry. I think there are a lot of parallels between financial services and the government. It's obviously highly regulated. These are big institutions with a lot of different departments that do a lot of things and they have their own technology stacks and, and departments that do mortgage or checking or savings or brokerage or et cetera, et cetera. And what the those institutions have done a really nice job of over the last you know 10 15 years is hiding some of that internal complexity and some of the differences in the technology stack from the from the end customer right you log into your bank account and you see all of your different your accounts in one place um you can you can your service different options for things that might be relevant to you all from that initial portal experience it's one login for all of those different services right you're not prompted for a different set of credentials for your mortgage account versus your checking account and all of that complexity which is still there in many cases is is masked from you and that's really what i mean by this outside in view is to the customer, it appears somewhat seamless, not to say that there's never any hiccups, but it appears somewhat seamless, while internally they work through some of those internal process changes and continually trying to make it better. And, you know, if I was a, if I ran government for a day or if I ran a state government for a day, that would be the way that I would think about maybe approaching the world is how do we hide some of that same complexity that's going to take time to unwind, um, provide that more cohesive experience by imagining what we want for individuals while we while we in the background tackle the bigger harder steps of those system modernizations and pulling out some of those mainframes and some of the other things that still exist um, within the walls of government what you're describing and i do like the description because you're right when you go to your bank you you want to make it you don't care who holds which part this is what right. things that you want to take I, I see very similar i think the veterans affairs department's a great example of that they heard from their customers it's too complicated. There's too much complexity. So they created something called VA.gov. And then they said, okay, what are the top three or four or five things veterans tend to want to do? Here they are down the list. Is that the type of approach you're talking about here is, is starting from, okay, what do you really want to do when you come to our site? And how can we serve that to you in the most efficient way? Yeah, absolutely. That That's exactly it. You know, I think one of the one of the things that has um, in some ways burdened the types of experiences governments provide is they have to do everything and provide every bit of information to everyone. And if you look at some legacy experiences, you see a little bit of the of the ramifications of doing that where it's almost this overwhelming wall of information with links and acronyms and forms and things you can do. And it's sort of everything. And to most people that is overwhelming. 
So what you've described is exactly what I'm talking about. There are, you know, a couple of three or four big categories of things that most people want to do. And if you can start to push them down a glide path to get those things done, you probably meet the needs of, you know, somewhere between 70, 80, maybe 85% of the population. And yes, there are going to be people who have, you know, maybe more um, specific needs or who are accessing services that are outside of those big four or five. And, and yes, we need to think about how to do those. Um, but there are ways to get people into those experiences as well. But it all stems from really, what are the core things? What are the, the needs you have? And what are the things you're trying to accomplish? And, and let's work our way from there. So human-centered design sounds great. We hear a lot about it when we talk about DevSecOps or iterative development. The challenge is, again, versus the shoe example that I used earlier, if you are a women's shoe company and it's mostly high heels, just to take it to the nth degree, not everyone's going to wear high heels. Many uh, young people under 12 probably aren't wearing high heels. Many older people over 50 or over 60 aren't wearing high heels. So maybe you know you've just narrowed down your base. But if you're the agriculture department, if you are the environmental protection agency, if you are the commerce department, it's really much harder to nail down who who are you designing that for? What are some of the ways you've seen that works where agencies can start to understand who their customer is and start asking the right customer for the right the right sets of questions? Yeah, I think the the persona driven approach that I mentioned earlier really is the way. And the the art and science there is coming up with a representative sample of personas that represent most of the customer base. You know, in your shoe example, a high-end shoe manufacturer may have a couple of personas that reflect um, digitally savvy, you know, very fashionable women or individuals who wear those shoes, and they can kind of plan their experience around those. Government may have to come up with a few more personas, and those personas should include people who have differential types of needs, maybe people who have um, a, a recognized disability or people who English may not be their first language or people who may lack access to broadband or other technology choices. And by coming up with those personas and defining their same needs base, you can start to plan for some of those things, right? In that latter category, a great digital experience isn't going to help someone who lacks access to broadband or who lacks access to technology. So you have to think about how is this experience maybe going to traverse both digital and physical and phone-based channels in a way that's seamless, where you don't feel like you're starting over if you if you have a need to go into a physical location that it sort of picks up from perhaps where you've left off, or that you can get the same types of servicing um, from a community partner that you would if you had access to technology within your within your home or your place of residence. So I think really coming up with that representative set of persona profiles that that sort of pull together a lot of the different types of users or individuals that you have to service, and then thinking about what is their journey going to look like, knowing that it may be different from group A to group B to group C, is really how they can start to pull all those pieces together. And of course, I think you brought this up that people have different needs, whether they're accessibility needs or lack broadband or English not as a first language. It really takes us to the idea that whatever approach they take for customer experience has got to be omni-channel. We hear that a lot. Of, of It can't just be one way or can't be even two ways. It's got to be many, many ways. Is that something that agencies have always been fairly good at? If you are part of like me, Generation X, Chris, you said you were. So uh, the Pueblo, Colorado, right? Send away for those pamphlets. Uh, that was a great ad that we all remember. I mean, is the omni-channel something that they get or is it so much focus on how do I get it to your phone? How we got to use the phone more? Do they have that balance? 
you know, this is one where honestly, even the private sector is still um, is still trying to get it right. And I think that there is a pretty good understanding of what it needs to look like, but um, using technology and using data to stitch that all together, it does take some work and some doing. And so I think this is where, you know, what one of the factors in these types of transformations is, is the technology and the data that underpowers these experiences and really coming up with that data model that represents that 360 view that is accessible through those different channels. Um, that That's a bit of the hard part that that is not an easy thing to do, um, but getting that right is what enables those those seamless handoffs between channels. So, you know, again, I think it's I think people understand the concept and what it looks like and how to and and what needs to be done. Um, but that is one where there's a bigger technical lift than you know just refreshing your website or simplifying your website or making it easier to read. These are some of the the longer poles in the tent, so to speak. And speaking of those long poles in the tent, the opposite side we've talked about technology a little bit. We've talked about kind of this process improvement, starting with human-centered design. we got to also talk about the people side of this, because I think that's the other big challenge. And when we talk about people, it's not just the customers, right? But I heard this just the other day, and I think this is a great terminology. A good employee experience equals a good customer experience. So, you know, the EX equals CX. What should agencies consider as they're starting down this path to make sure their employees understand why customer experience matters so much, why they need to really be focused on that, and how can they drive it from everything they do every day? You know, Jason, I'm so glad you brought that up because that the the data shows that out that the best way to improve your customer experience is to improve your employee experience. And that means giving them tools to enable them to do their jobs more efficiently. Um, now, the change management is even harder than the data piece. And particularly when you're dealing with institutions who may have individuals who have a tremendous amount of legacy knowledge who've been there for a long time um, and who've grown very accustomed to doing things a certain way. But I think establishing the individuals within the organization who are change champions, who, yes, they understand how things work, but also understand how they would like to make things better um, and, and using them as uh, your evangelists to help talk about what the future can bring and how it's not necessarily a threat, but can take away some of the frustrations that they may have. You know, I talked about that outside in view, and, and again, starting with those end, end journeys is really important, but then you do have to think about what are the process changes that will need to happen in order to make that so. And what we find when we do this work with agencies is there's usually a lot of people who know exactly um, where, where to fix things in order to make the overall customer experience better. And getting those people and sort of raising their profile and giving them the ability to really drive some of those change and see them through and see the impact of that is a way to bring a lot of the organization along. There are other techniques, certainly you need good top-down sponsorship um, and someone who can set a bold vision and say, this is what we're going to do. And this vision may actually span administrations or, or span sort of natural breaks in the organizational structure, but it's the right thing to do and here's the benefits we're gonna get. And then getting the, the the people, you know, again, that that army of willing participants who can help evangelize the mission is really important. And if you get that right, honestly, you can make some mistakes on technology along the way. Um, and your customers won't realize it because your employees will help be the ones to shepherd them through some of those rocky periods. Chris, I think that's great advice. Unfortunately, though, we're out of time and we could talk a lot more. But first, let me thank my guest. 
Christian Nusos is the Managing Director for Digital at EY. Chris, uh, thanks so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks, Jason, so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. As I did, too. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Digital Literacy, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search EY. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Digital Literacy, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network.